story by story. So thankful for their commitment to that and uh, the way our kids are growing in the Lord. I want to start by um, praying for Mary Way's family. We ended up doing her memorial service here on Friday. So uh, these flowers are in memory of her and um, we're so thankful for her testimony and the way she was part of our church family for so many years. So let's stop and pray for her family. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mary and her impact on us and on uh, her kids and on the staff um, there at Golden Acres or Gordon Orchards. And Lord, we're so thankful for the way you have used her, and Lord, I, I pray that we would learn from her example. Lord, I pray that you'd be the Prince of Peace um, and give peace that passes understanding to Matt and Melissa and their families. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them and that you'd talk over me while I talk to them as we open your word. Do this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, I would like to ask you to think of the next step of faith that God may be calling you to take. So if the Holy Spirit would be pleased to whisper to you today, um, what is your next step of faith? I'm just going to be praying that the Lord would open your eyes to that or that he would be whispering that to you or nudging you. In fact, let me stop and just pray that right now. Lord, you're here with us and all around us and in us. And Lord, I pray that you would nudge, whisper, shout, um, what is each of our next step of faith? Lord, give us the faith and the courage to take it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like you to be thinking, what is my next step of faith? Uh, as we go through this narrative, what you'll see is two examples of steps of faith. So you see someone come and get Jesus and bring him. That's an example of faith. And you see someone else go to Jesus. That's an example of faith. Then you'll see an example of doubt. And I'm asking you, what's your next step of faith? We want to ask this as we're going into the new year and we're having renewed or new faith for the first time. So before we jump into Matthew chapter 9, I'd like to remind you that every culture has a purity code. In fact, in this, in this passage, we'll be looking at a purity code. The purity code will be very important. So to understand this, we have to understand that every culture has a purity code. Close to our culture's purity code would be, or an example of our culture's purity code would be, you have to do what after you go to the bathroom? Wash your hands. Please wash your hands after you go to the bathroom, right? That's an example of our culture's purity code. And different, maybe parts of the country have different ideas about what would be an example of uh, a purity code. So for some places, uh, it's really important that uh, foods be local, that they be 100% bio, whatever that means, 100% organic, 
plant-based, eco-products, gluten-free, nut-free, lactose-free, vegan. Like, so, so I was listening to one preacher talk about this, and he's like, my people, you know, uh, they're so concerned about the food they eat. Like, it's got to be all this stuff, all these qualifiers. It's got to be so clean, so pure, so all this stuff. But then they sleep with something, someone different every week. You know, they have this, like, kind of not bad to be concerned about food, but you want to make sure you're concerned about the stuff God's concerned about at the same time. So, um, purity, purity code. Remember, there was a purity code for a while, uh, a couple years ago. And these two words were uh, used, uh, three words were used quite a lot. If you had a close contact, you had to quarantine. I don't know if you remember that or not, but uh, I remember that. I mean, I did it. So my kids had COVID, and I figured if my kids had COVID, I probably shouldn't come in and shake everyone's hand in the building and shout germs at you, potentially, so uh, I came in here and preached just me and a couple of volunteers and the camera, you know, and uh, then we played the video for you that week. And then the next two weeks, I had COVID and same thing. I came in and preached to the camera and we just played the video for you because I, I was unclean and had to quarantine, Bring those words with you, those ideas with you to uh, the, the Levitical law, this idea of a close contact and quarantining. It will help you understand Matthew 9. So, so you may not, I'm not worried about boring you to death here. I'm worried about offending you so much that you can't even hear what I'm going to say next. Okay, so not so much with the first example, but really with the second example. So the first example of having a close contact and then having to quarantine was with a dead body. So in Numbers chapter 19, verse 11, whoever touches, that's like a close contact, the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. So there's a lot they didn't know about disease, but they knew that if you go around touching dead bodies, disease spreads, and that's bad. And so they, they had this, you know, God gave them this law that whoever touches a dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. So it wasn't, wasn't morally evil. You just had to quarantine after you touched a dead body. Okay? Now that's the first example. This next example is the one that I, I'm, I'm just hoping you'll listen through it and past it. So <clears throat> here we are in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity... Or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. So in Leviticus chapter 15, it's talking about cleanliness laws in regards to blood and in regards to semen. And it's saying both of them would make you unclean. And so as in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. See, if, if you touch someone in, or anyone in this position, you'd have a close contact and you'd have to quarantine. You'd have to wash your clothes and be 
unclean. So bring that idea with you to Matthew chapter 9, that idea of close contact, quarantine, uncleanness. Bring that with you to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him. Okay, so this is, we know from the other gospels, this is a ruler of the synagogue. Synagogue was like their church. How did, how did they think of Jesus? As a general idea, the religious elite, how did they think of Jesus? False, yeah. Yeah, they, they thought of him like as a dangerous heretic. So here's this, here's, here's this ruler coming and kneeling before Jesus in public. Old boy is taking a risk because he's desperate. And behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her, and she will live. He's demonstrating faith. Now his faith is not like the centurion's faith. So we saw the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, who came to Jesus and said, I have a servant that is paralyzed and desperately ill and in pain, and Jesus says, okay, I'm coming. And he says, you don't even have to come to my house. Just say the word. I know you have that kind of authority. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Well, this guy doesn't have that kind of faith where he says, just say the word and my daughter will be raised from the dead. But he does have enough faith to say, please come and heal my daughter. And so Jesus, Jesus honors the faith this guy has. Even small faith is enough faith if the faith is in Jesus. And the daughter has just died, so come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years. Hey, hey, have you heard that recently? Remember, we just saw that in Leviticus? So what would this make her? This would make her unclean. This means she's been unclean and had to quarantine for 12 years. On top of the pain, or on top of the blood loss, on top of the weakness, on top of everything else that went with it, she has not been able to go to synagogue. She's had to quarantine and been unclean 12 long, bad years. One of the other gospel writers, either Luke or Mark, tell us that she had tried so hard. She'd spent all she had on doctors to try to get better, and that she had suffered much at the hands of many doctors. Like, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible position to be in. So, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. I mean, I just need you to know, like, she's, she's creating a close contact. The other gospel writers tell us there's this big crowd, and she pushes through this crowd, like you remember from the COVID days, what it would mean if you give this person a close contact, and that person a close contact, and this person a close contact, and that person a close contact, and that person a close contact, and she just pushes through the cloud and gives Jesus a close contact. She wants to get better really, really bad. And she thinks Jesus can heal her. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her said, and what's Jesus going to say? Like, 
She just kind of presumed on him. She just gave him a close contact. Like, I remember how I felt when I realized my kids had COVID and it meant that I couldn't come to church and do my job. I was mad. Do you remember how you felt? Like, you probably had a close contact. You probably had to stay home. Do you remember how you felt? What's Jesus going to say? Like, she, this lady just presumes that Jesus is going to heal her. She pushes her way, grabs us. She, she doesn't give Jesus a choice in the matter in that sense. She pushes through and grabs this corner of his garment. Jesus turned, seeing her in a way that nobody else saw her, like he saw Matthew. He said to her, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. You know how there are stories in your family that if you want to get, you know, if you want an outsider to know people that are inside the family, you tell stories about people. So when my sons bring home girlfriends, they always make sure they tell embarrassing stories about me to the girlfriends. And it's usually stories about how I've disciplined them. They never tell stories about how, you know, I played with them or took them this or took them that or did these fun things with them. It always comes back to, and remember the time, Dad? I know you want to hear, but I'm just not going to tell you. <laughs> they tell those stories so that the girls get to know something about me and then we tell stories about them so that they can get to know them. Hey, look at me. This is a story Matthew, Mark, and Luke said, if you want to know Jesus, you need to know this story. They each include this story. And they each include that Jesus called her daughter. She's the only woman in the Gospels that Jesus calls daughter. And they each record it. Remember the time. This woman had the courage to push through the crowd and grab Jesus by, you know, by the corner of his cloak. Remember that time? And remember what Jesus did? He turned around and he didn't zap her or blast her. He smiled at her, saw her in the way that nobody else saw her, and said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Remember that? They're each like, if you want to know Jesus, you've got to know the story. You've got to know the story. Faith is what Jesus responds to. If you want to know something about Jesus, you know the story that he calls her daughter and he responds to her faith. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house, and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion. He said, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. So some people think, well, see, the girl wasn't really dead, she was just asleep. Because in that day, they didn't know the difference between dead and asleep. 
No, no, that's not right. What Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, I can raise her from the dead as easily as I can wake someone from a nap. To Jesus, the difference between dead and asleep is not that much different because he can raise them one way or the other. He's saying death is not the end, not when you have me. So he said, go, go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Now look, I don't want to tell you this, because it doesn't make me look good. But I, I don't know, I don't, really, I don't really find myself identifying, at least not right now, with the dad of the dead daughter. I don't really find myself identifying with the woman with the issue of blood. This is the part I don't want to tell you. I do find myself identifying with the crowd that laughed because they thought, nothing's going to change. You're not going to fix this situation. This is hopeless. I do find myself identifying with their doubt. And here's, here's the... Here's the terrifying part of like identifying with this doubt and seeing this doubt like, I don't want this. Like I, I have to reject this and choose faith. Because if we stay in our doubt, we end up outside the house, away from what God is doing. So they laugh at Jesus. Jesus drives them out. When the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. Now what what you have to remember, you remember from the book of Numbers, this is a close contact with a dead person. It would have meant Jesus, by Levitical law, would have had to quarantine for seven days, except that that's not how it went, and he raised her from the dead, and the girl arose. If I could pick one truth about Jesus for you to hold on to from this passage, here's the truth I would pick. That Jesus overpowers uncleanness. So let's talk about this a second, though, before we put it up on the screen. Let's talk about uncleanness. Uh, i got to finish the passage. And the report of this went throughout all the district. Okay, so now we're going to talk about uncleanness. If you have white carpet, beautiful, pristine white carpet, what will win? The white carpet or muddy boots? Really? You don't think that the white carpet will stay pristine and clean and the boots will just magically get clean? You think the white carpet will get dirty? Well, I mean, yeah, that's how it works in our world, right? Dirty things make clean things dirty. Uncleanness makes clean things unclean. Okay, maybe it's different with uh, raw chicken and cutting board. What will win, the raw chicken or the cutting board? The raw chicken. You're not going to cut up this chicken and get it ready for something, and then the very next thing, put an apple on there, chop up the apple, and eat the apple. You're not going to do that because you believe the raw chicken will win and contaminate the cutting board. Now, what will win? A healthy person sitting next to a sick person or... 
Like, like, let's say you're healthy and you're sitting next to someone that is hacking and sneezing and desperately sick and they're wiping their nose on you. And, like, what's going to win? You know, who's going to win? Are, are, is your health going to make them healthy or is their sickness going to make you sick? I mean, I think you know. Been around little kids enough to know. Now, here's the thing. The unclean woman comes and touches Jesus, and who's supposed to win? What's supposed to win? Uncleanness is supposed to win, but what happens? It goes the other way, and she becomes clean. Jesus touches the corpse, and what's supposed to happen? The corpse is supposed to make Jesus unclean. But what happens? His cleanness is so big and so strong, it brings the corpse back to life. Here's the point. Jesus overpowers uncleanness every time. He is bigger and stronger and better than any uncleanness. So, what should we do? Well, three, three steps, and remember you're thinking about your next step of faith, but three, three action steps we could take here. First is, I'd say we could really learn a lot from this lady that, Risk everything to go and touch Jesus. Say first, go to Jesus. And uh, the first question I would have would be like, how? How do you go to Jesus? And my answer to that, it's, it's, I would start with his word. So when I was um, in high school, I remember junior, senior year, because we were living in McBain at the time, I remember coming in my dad's office. My dad was a pastor. I remember coming in my dad's office and saying to my dad, I am trying to read the Bible, and I, I just can't. I just, I just don't understand it. I mean, I read it and read it and read it, and like it's words are crawling around on the page, and it just doesn't make any... I just, it's just not sinking in. Like I just don't... And so my dad's like, well, um, why don't you try this Bible... And so I, I still have it. It's the, the open Bible. And the biggest difference was, um, this is a New American Standard, and the, the Bible I was reading was a King James. And uh, I'm not mad at the King James. I just couldn't read it. And so giving me, and the New American Standard is still more difficult than the English Standard Version, which is what I read from um, on Sunday, but, but it was a lot easier than the King James. And so I started reading this and started actually understanding it. And I mean, I have to tell you, I met God in this Bible. I met God in this Bible. Got to know him better in other Bibles. But I met him in this one. He'll meet you as you get to know him in his word, whether it's the audio Bible or it's the YouVersion app on your phone or it's he'll meet you in his word.
as you hear these stories about him again and again and again, stories like, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Another place I've met God is in his church. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, 27 says, now y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And you're like, so is that the new American standard or what translation is y'all? And that is the Nathan Smith translation um, because uh, the Greek is plural. The Greek for you is plural. So you know, probably if you look it up, you'd see now you are the body of Christ. But when we think of you, we think of something singular, but in Greek it's plural. And there's no good grammatical way to say you plural in English. Um, you could say use are the body of Christ. They used to say that in the UP, use guys are the body of Christ. Um, you could say, no, so that's why I have, I got this from a seminary prof. He'd say the best way to say this is y'all are the body of Christ. And Seth, I see Seth back there, didn't I? Yeah, Seth, Seth told me, well, that's improper because if you go in the deep south, even that's singular, you got to have all y'all are the body of Christ. So I do stand corrected, but I didn't have space to put all y'all in there and still get it in two lines. So here's the deal. You are the physical presence of Jesus on earth when you're gathered. So if you want to know Jesus, if you want to experience Jesus, part of it is being with your church family, which is why I'm so glad you're here. And Jesus really affirms this, and he's talking about something different here. He's talking about church discipline in Matthew chapter 18, but he says, when there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. Like, if you want to be around Jesus, be around his family, which is the church. So first, his word. Second, his church. Third, his supper. And so Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. So I thought, instead of me just telling you this is how to go to Jesus, I thought we would actually receive communion together this morning. So if you have your, um, your bread and your cup, if you could take them out with me, I just want to remind you um, what the Apostle Paul wrote about communion. And he said, really, you, you, before you take communion, you want to really remember what communion is. Communion is, the Lord's Supper is another way to say it, it is remembering that Jesus died for our sins. It is remembering that he took our place, that he gave himself for us. This is why I think it's so important to, to like, how do you go to Jesus? Well, he gave us bread and a cup to help us experience something physical, to remember that he cleansed our sins, that he made, he made us new and righteous and clean. This is, this is a sacred thing. He says, please examine yourself before you do this so that you're not making a mockery of the Lord's Supper when you take this bread and this cup. He says, if you do this in a way that makes a mockery 
of the bread and the cup. Look, and I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, chapter 11, verse 29. He says, if anyone eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Like, this is serious, sacred time of remembering what Jesus did for us. And that's part of the way you can know, like, this is how to experience Jesus today, is remembering what he did for us. So, so let's take out the bread. And what I'd like you to do is, while you're holding this bread, when I read, broke it. So what we'll see is that when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. When I read, broke it. I'd like you to break it and think about how Christ's body was broken for you to make you clean, to give you resurrection hope for your body. So for I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if you want to open the cup, Remember, his blood was shed to wash away all of your uncleanness, to wash away all of your sin. There is no sin, no stain that he cannot cleanse. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this cup, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Lord, we are so thankful that we have that hope that you died and rose and shared yourself in the person of the Holy Spirit, that you'll return again. Lord, help us live in that hope. In Jesus' name. How do you go to Jesus? You go to Jesus in his word. You go to Jesus in his body, which is the church. And you go to Jesus through the Lord's Supper. So second, we said Jesus overpowers uncleanness. So what do we do? Well, number one, we go to Jesus. Number two, we take Jesus to them. So this is the example of the dad who goes to Jesus and bows before Jesus and says, Jesus, my daughter has just died. Please come and heal her. And so he gets Jesus and brings Jesus to his daughter. Why would we do this? Well, we would, we would do this if someone was spiritually dead and had no desire for the Lord. So these are the kind of people that have no desire to come to church, 
These people have no desire to read the word, have no desire for God at all. And what the Apostle Paul reminds us of is that there was a time when we were like this. He says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Erwin Lutzer is a pastor in Chicago, and he tells the story of taking a group of seminary students to a cemetery and telling the seminarians that they need to preach the gospel to the corpses in the ground. And so he's like, well, go ahead. And they all kind of look at each other awkwardly, not knowing what to do. And he exhorts them more, you know, preach the gospel. Come on, what's wrong with you? And they just stand around there awkwardly, not knowing what to do. And so Erwin says, this is what I mean. And so he gets down like this close to the ground. There's a tombstone right here, you know, and he shouts, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It just seems ludicrous, right? And he says, look, this is what it's like to preach to people that are spiritually dead. They can't respond, and you can't do anything about it. The only thing we can do is trust the Lord to do his work. Don't think it's up to you. All you can do is bring them to Jesus, or bring Jesus to them and pray that the Lord does the work. So you're going to pray for them, you're going to witness to them, but you're just going to trust the Lord to do the work because it's not in your hands and there's nothing you can do anyway. You need Holy Spirit power. So trust the Lord to do the work as you witness and pray in faith. And number three, stop doubting. Because when we doubt, we're on the outside of what God is doing. Stop doubting that God can raise the spiritually dead. Stop doubting that God can heal. Stop doubting that God can change them for good. That God can change you for good. So this new year, this new year, I'd love for you to, in faith, go to Jesus through his word, through his body, through, through communion. I'd love for you to think of someone that you're going to bring Jesus to through prayer or through witness. I'd love for you to feed your faith rather than your doubt. So the question we started with, what is your next step of faith? I mean, here's the thing about steps of faith. You don't have to do it. So what, what would have happened if the dad of the dead girl decided that it wasn't, you know, like, I don't know that Jesus is going to come. I don't know that he's going to lay his hand on her. I don't know that it's going to work. And by kneeling before Jesus, I'm going to lose all my dignity. So, you know, I should probably not go or I'll go tomorrow or go a different day. And what if he would have just not gone? Nothing would have happened, and his daughter would have stayed dead. What if the woman hadn't pushed her way through the crowd and taken the terrible risk of going up to Jesus and grabbing him by the edge of the garment? What if she would have said, like, I don't want to risk the embarrassment. You know, I don't want to have close contacts with everyone on my way up there. I don't want them to have to quarantine. What if Jesus gets mad? 
What if Jesus is in a hurry? What if it's a bad day for Jesus? Like, think of all the things she could have told herself. What if she wouldn't have gone to Jesus? Nothing would have happened. What about you? What if you just tell yourself all the things you've been telling yourself this last year? What if you keep making all the same excuses you've been making all year? What if you just listen to all the same fears? What will happen? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you help us take the steps of faith that you're calling us to. Lord, we believe that you overpower sin and death and uncleanness. Draw us to yourself through your Holy Spirit power. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.